Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Welcome back into another edition of College Golf Talk. Steve Burkowski, Brentley Romine with you, a special guest, a recent first-time winner in college golf, going to be joining us moments from now. A little late to the game this week, Brentley. Red Eyes home from Pasa Tiempo for me. Uh, life duties for you as well. So we're, we're getting it going on a Friday morning, but um, we're here. We're like we, Women's Barely. conference championships Barely. are underway, like, we talk about it, we pump it up, but this is the six-week run uh, that, at least from our standpoint, makes it all worth it. Yeah, Burke, I'm about at 85%, so uh, so bear with me. We had a sick dog, obviously getting back in the saddle after two weeks away, but yeah, we got the SEC women's, ACC women's going on now. The men's will start before you know it, and We'll be pretty busy, so uh, it's time to get uh, back up to 100% because we know that we're going to get worn down over these next two weeks as we, you know, cover the the postseason run. So, uh, but I wouldn't want to do it with anyone but you, Burko. So, oh, you're too good to me, buttering me up. I can appreciate it. Uh, likewise, my friend. We'll get into what's going on, what Sam Bennett did at the Masters. Take a look at the 500 rule uh, a little bit later on. But let's welcome in Derek Kitchener, the fifth year senior from Pepperdine, breaking through at Pasa Tiempo, getting that. First collegiate win, helping the Waves uh, double dip there as they did in 2021. Derek, always good to catch up. Appreciate you joining us. And now that you've had a couple of days to let it sink in, for you specifically as an individual, and you and I talked about it uh, on the air, but maybe a little more in depth what it finally means to win and, and, and break through and sort of validate everything you've done through the years. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you, Burko and Brentley, for having me. Um, really appreciate it. Yeah, it, it was it was an amazing week. It was uh, obviously primarily super exciting to to win as a team, and then to um, yeah be able to win individually. On top of that, was pretty special. Um, but yeah, still still honestly pretty surreal, largely because of of what we talked about, which was I just I for the entire round I, I really had no idea that I was in that leading position once I got into the back nine and. Um, so to just to learn, learn that information once I got basically to the scoring tent and then afterwards was honestly pretty unexpected. Um, but yeah, obviously very, very exciting realization, something that I was, I was, I was obviously very happy about. Um, but it, yeah, it, it feels, it feels important. It feels like important validation. It feels like, um, just an important kind of testament to the the work I've, I've, I've tried to devote to kind of various aspects of my game to improve and, 
um, it's just, it's exciting for me from the standpoint of just knowing that I can, I can get across the finish line in, in college. Cause I'd had a, a handful of tournaments this year where I've, I've played solidly, but haven't really comp- contended for a title. And so um, to be able to just kind of get across the finish line and, and, um, and get the job done is, is pretty exciting. I want to follow up on something you also shared with me the other day uh, on the air of you decided basically during the practice round that you weren't going to look at the leaderboards all week long. It went in your favor. Let's play devil's advocate that you signed your scorecard and then you realized, oh, wow, I did need to make one or two more. And I'm not looking at it from a negative standpoint. Uh, but now that you've done it without knowing where you stood, is that something you're going to do more? How much of a guessing game is it moving forward of I'm on the 17th and I need to know that I've got to, you know, make two coming in. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great question. Um, I think, I think that was the ideal situation for me to not look because I was in that position where I was barely leading, um, and, but I was, I was of the mindset that I needed to, to make, make something happen. Um, so I, I tried to still um, kind of assert myself and, and try to still make as many birdies as I could. And so I was, I was still playing fairly aggressively, at least, um, at least that's how I perceived myself to be playing. It might not have looked at like it because the course was so challenging and I still had to be um, kind of conservative with a few pins. But I think if, if the, if the situation were different and say I was down by a shot or two, um, or say, say, yeah, say I was down by a shot or two, obviously that that's probably tougher from the standpoint of, I would probably press the issue a little bit more like on 18, for example, I would, I would maybe make sure I got the putts of the hole as opposed to, to, um, leaving a 12 foot or a foot short. But I think at the end of the day, I, regardless of the circumstance, there's still, at least in my opinion, an ideal or an optimal way to play a, a hole. Um, and within that, there's an optimal way to play a shot. And I, I think if I just kind of extricate myself from any sort of circumstance or from from any cor- any sort of setting where the circumstances demanded me to play a certain way, I, I think just kind of simplifying everything down to just the, the, the shot I'm in is probably the best way to play because um, it, it removes myself from the nerves that might arise from knowing the circumstance. And so I, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed doing that. I, I enjoyed not knowing because the, the uncertainty of my position forced me to just focus and, and commit and, and concentrate as, as intensely as I could on the, on the shot I had. And so I'll probably keep, keep trying that for now and, and, and see how some more tournament experiences either kind of validate the, the approach or maybe make me question it. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I tried it. Now, Derek, you know, when the TV cameras show up, there, there's normally a reason for that, right? That's true. Well, I would say walking up 18 green, the, the, the camera kept following me to the scoring tent. So that was that was probably my first inkling of a of an idea that about I was in a different position than I thought. Um, but I, I just figured that I was probably in third or fourth. Um, I just kind of assumed that Sam and, and Owen were a couple shots ahead. And so I figured that there's maybe a reason they were showing me because I was I had an outside chance of, of, of contending. Um, so, yeah, I, it was it was it was just complete ignorance on my, on my behalf. Um, but I think it worked out pretty well for me, thankfully. Now, Derek, for those who don't know kind of your story in college golf, uh, fifth year senior, uh, from Minnesota, just kind of maybe briefly take us through the decision one to go to Pepperdine and then two 
just the patience you had to show because when you arrived on campus, you weren't necessarily in the lineup all that much. Uh, you weren't part of that 2021 uh, NCAA team, at least in the starting lineup for that. Just kind of talk about one, the, the decision to go to Pepperdine and two, how you've gotten to where you are now. Yeah, yeah. I um, I would say Pepperdine first got on my radar actually when I was in a different country. I, I was at a, a golf camp in Ireland, um, kind of an obscure camp, but also a really cool opportunity. It was, it was called the Kerry Cup at a place called Waterville. And Coach Beard just happened to be there. I, I hadn't, I don't think I had heard of Pepperdine previously. Um, and so that, that first put it, put just the school and, and him on my radar. Um, and I, yeah, I, I felt like we developed a good rapport just in talking a few times that week. Um, but I, I think we probably both had an understanding that my, that the, the strength of my, my golf resume was not quite sufficient at that point. And so, um, we just kind of said we, we'd stay in touch if, if, if I was able to keep improving and the following season, I, I started playing a little better. Um, so I ended up going on a visit, I think the following summer. And once I saw the location, it, it occurred to me pretty quickly that that was a, a pretty ideal place to go to school. Um, and the program was improving just pretty rapidly, honestly, because it, it seemed like the, the recruits that coach was getting were also improving and um, Sahith and, and Rory and Josh and Clay were, were starting to just kind of make the program ascend to, to where it was getting into the top 25 when I first arrived. And so it just felt like that was probably the strongest golf program I was talking to academically. It was also among the best schools that I was, I was in conversation with. And um, so it really seemed like a no brainer. And another priority was just going to a warm, warm weather climate um, because I, I just felt like my, my development was hindered by the fact that I was only playing five, probably six or six and a half months a year. And, and so guys I was competing against were playing just literally twice as much golf as I was. Um, and so yeah, it felt like a no-brainer for a lot of reasons. But yeah, like you said, Brentley, I, once I got there, it, it wasn't really a situation where I was playing every week and traveling every week. And so it was um, it was certainly frustrating from that standpoint because I felt like I was uh, just, yeah, not not competing as much as I'd hoped. But I uh, I really just tried to adhere to the mindset that there's there's a purpose to that adversity and, and that I could, instead of getting frustrated or dejected by that, I could really learn from the fact that I'm playing with people who are better than me. And as a result, I can learn a lot from them. Um, and so I, I tried to adopt that and I tried to, to draw as much as I could from people like Sahith and, and Roy and Josh and Clay. And, and then afterwards, Joe and, and, and Mao. And I mean, I, I, I could list a dozen players who are just absolutely fantastic players and people I learned a lot from. And so I, I wouldn't change anything about how the first few years went, even though I didn't really play a whole lot. Mm-hmm. How would you describe the dynamic you referenced two years ago in and out of the lineup? You could argue eight, nine, 10 deep while the last year or two still a very good team, not nearly the firepower on the bench. How has that changed your approach to the game of maybe becoming a leader? And quite honestly, how has Pepperdine remained one of the nation's best when easily after graduation of the past two classes, there could have been a drop off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would probably point to towards the, the, the culture that was instilled in, in the team members by, by coach Beard. I'm especially starting with the, the, the the national championship winning team. Um, I think what's changed though, is that that I, I would probably characterize that team as almost 
I'm not going to say ruthlessly competitive, but something fairly close to that, just because it was a group of nine or 10 guys who were unbelievably talented, but we all had the the realization that only half of us were going to travel to a tournament. And so, and we all recognized that, you know, we were probably capable of playing on most lineups. And so there was just a competitiveness that that cultivated that was really, really motivated and motivating and something that also really kind of just drove improvement, drove a lot of hard work. Um, and I feel like there, that's, that's kind of lingered into, into the subsequent teams after that year. Um, and there's just a lot of residual effect from the fact that there was just so much com- competition, so much competitiveness. Um, and it just, it forced people to get better. And I, I still think that that's, that's present. Um, even though the team might not be both as large and as deep, but it's still, that competitiveness is still there. There's still just a, a really strong kind of motivating force for us to improve. Um, Cause we also want to, we want to replicate what, what happened a couple of years ago. And, and there's, there's just a lot of, a lot of motivation and a lot of desire to do that. Now, I was talking to Coach Beard a couple of days ago, and, and he was talking about how close this team is uh, off the golf course. I, I think you guys play poker almost every night. You, you hang out quite a bit. Yeah. Um, it, it, is that surprising that a roster where you have three freshmen and four of seven fresh faces, uh, is that surprising for you that you guys have, have gotten this close this fast? And secondly, could you just maybe give us a, a fun fact or something about each of your new teammates and, and, and kind of how mm-hmm. they, you know, how they tick and your guys' relationship? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> putting me on the spot with the fun facts. I'll, I'll get back to that later. Um, <laughs> it could be quick, know. Big, you know. Yeah, Sam, yeah. Sam Choi, you know. That's is, not a, that's not a hard one. Star, yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, yeah, no, it is, it is surprising – um, just on the, on the point of, of team cohesiveness. Um, also just cause I, I would say I haven't really experienced a, a degree of, of team cohesion that we have this year. And so it, it's, yeah, it's, it's special. It's, it's really neat that we have that. It feels, it feels like we developed that pretty early. Um, and I, I don't really know what I can directly attribute that to. It just, it seems like beneath all the, the competitiveness that we still harbor, there's just, a, a deep and strong level of friendship that we all have. Um, and yeah, it, it, it just allows us to look past the fact that we're obviously still competing against each other. It, it, that, that doesn't change, but at the same time we can be, we can be very friendly and we can have strong relationships beneath all that. And um, so, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that we, we have that. It's, it's been, it's been really just nice and, and fortunate to have a, a team that feels like we can spend a lot of time all together um, and because it sounds like a lot of, a lot of teams have that usually. And so, it, it, yeah, I've, I've just really enjoyed that kind of improved dynamic last year. Not, not to say or this year, not to say that previous years have been, has been remarkably, remarkably different, but there, I think it, it's maybe fairly obvious that there's just a slightly stronger degree of, of cohesiveness this year. Um, yeah. So as <laughs> regarding the fun facts, um, let's see, I mean, Sam, Sam, Sam is absolutely hilarious. He, he's, he's such a character. Um, I honestly, I'm kind of surprised he didn't take his shirt off when he pulled out. <laughs> 16. I, I kind of half expected that. He's, he's a hilarious guy. He, it seems like he's always kind of the catalyst for, for team laughter and whatnot. Um, I would say for Luke Gifford, we some of us consider him to be 
either 75 or 80 years old. And it seems like he always has like something that's ailing. He's also hilarious. So he, he's super funny. Um, he just, him and I kind of joke about how we're, we're significantly older than our ages. It seems like there's also some very obscure injury that is, is kind of pestering us. Um, Brady, <laughs> Brady is considered the, the team ATM. I'm not sure, n- not, not in a gambling way, just, um, someone who is very kind of generous as, as it, when it comes to providing us with, with funding to various things, probably shouldn't get into more details about that. <laughs> perfectly legal, not a, not anything related to gambling. Um, and then Berto is also just a hilarious guy. Super, super fun to be around. Um, he, I'd say something about him. He, he tends to leave things behind um, very frequently. So it, it seems like for, I don't know, going to tournaments or, or packing up, there's always something that, that Berto leaves behind that we have to get. But yeah, overall, super fun group of guys. Um, super grateful that we, we've had this year together. That's your great last, stuff. Yeah, your last six weeks in college golf, you and William have been there for four years. You bring in those new faces that have experienced. What are you going to share with them heading into the postseason that all due respect, they don't know what it's like because you've lived it. How do you share the information, the wealth, the knowledge to try to win another national title? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I think that's that's a super important thing for for William and I to share. But also, I, I I'm still relying on William for that a lot because he has he has more experience than I do. Um, last year was my first kind of conference, regional, national sequence of, of experiences. And so I, I still feel like I'm, I'm still getting some, some experience under my feet. And, um, but obviously going through that last year was, was, was super pivotal um, and super helpful for just learning stuff that I can pass on to those guys. But I, I feel like if, if I were to have a message, it would be that we, I mean, we've had a, had a solid season, obviously a lot of, a lot of success throughout the regular season, but all that success really has no impact on, on what lies ahead. And, and there's just a, there's a complete reset to where we have to just focus primarily on, on each, each shot and each, each day in front of us. And um, there's no guarantee of, of, of moving forward. And so it just, there's obviously just an elevation of, of what, of the importance of each tournament. And, and so just really recognizing that, um, that, that, that's, that, I mean, that's, that's it. That, that's what we've worked for this entire year. And so, um, I think that'll just kind of generate a, a higher level of, of kind of focus and, and concentration and effort. And, um, I just, I experienced that firsthand last year. And so I'm, I'm excited to, to pass that along and, and see how, see how everyone responds to that. Now, Derek, uh, obviously two years ago, you had, you guys added a volunteer assistant by the name of Chris Sambry. You know, people may may have heard of him, may have not heard of him, but now he's back. He's your guys' official assistant coach. Can you just talk about kind of what what he brings to the table, just in terms of the way you guys prepare and practice and get better? Um, because yeah. I think Burko would agree. In, in my opinion, there's not too many better coaches at development than Chris Sambry. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I feel like he, he's just an incredible wealth of knowledge when it comes to just statistics and then course management. And um, he has, he, he just has a, a plethora of, of these, these testing sort of 
regimens that he has. Um, a lot of that includes track man ball striking tests, but there's also a putting test. And, and so basically he's added kind of a new layer of structure to, to the program where we'll show up to practice. And a lot of times we'll do a lot of these testing regiments that he has. Um, and so that, that includes just these line tests on, on track man where you hit 20 shots with, with anywhere between nine iron and six iron. And it's just kind of total dispersion it, it is, is summed up and, that creates a score. You also do that for longer clubs. And, and so that's, it, that's just kind of an, an example of, of things we do that. Um, yeah, just, it, it feels like it's it developmentally super crucial because it, it is such a great way of identifying how your ball striking is, where there are areas to improve. Um, and then combining that with all the decade course management principles that he obviously knows very well. And, and so, yeah, he, he just has a very, very, insightful kind of analytical lens to to how to play and combining that with how coach beard just has so much fantastic insight into just kind of playing the game i would say as opposed to maybe the analytics of it um and so combining the two i i I feel remarkably fortunate to have those two as as coaches um and yeah yeah it's been it's been fantastic having zambri there for the past couple years for for all the all the insights he's he's shared and and all the kind of different practice regimens he's he's provided now what's your best score on the extreme line test and for those who don't know i I think it's it's like two through nine irons you hit 20 shots you kind of alternate it like seven three eight four and i guess the record is rico hoey 43 do you know off the top of your head what your what your number is i know it's nowhere close to 43 i i don't even know if i've gotten double that i that 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 test consistently exposes me for for mediocre long iron ball striking and so but which is great i mean that's that's what i need to know so i i can identify what to work on but i've probably i've probably gotten something around 80 um which is averaging four yards offline per shot and so if i'm if i'm playing a tournament round i'm very satisfied with that for a nine iron to a two iron um so that just yeah the the fact that that rico got 43 on that which is averaging just about two yards a shot is, is honestly pretty astounding. But so I, I have not come close to that, but hopefully I'll, I'll find a way. Well, they, they call him the world's greatest driver, but clearly right. uh, should be ball striker instead of driver. But uh, yeah. now your, your bio page on the, on Pepperdine's website is pretty, I, I don't know what the right word is, maybe eclectic. I'll, I'll just read off a few things. Like you enjoy among other things, fly fishing, um it says the outdoors just the outdoors um favorite golfer is siwoo kim um king lear your favorite book zach brown band musical artist i mean this is we're all over the all over the map there um so i just want to maybe touch on just a couple of those things why why siwoo kim honestly I, i i think i wrote that freshman year without really any understanding of why I did that. I, the only interaction <laughs> I've had with him is, is he, he signed a hat for me at Riviera. And I was, I was really touched by that moment. I, uh, I just remember really loving that. Um, also, I kind of vividly remember him winning the players when he was, I, was he 20 or, or maybe even younger when he did that? So I, I, I thought that was remarkable. Um, that honestly though, I, I'd probably replace him with, with Sahit at this point. I think he called. Yeah. Yeah. Tour pro and, and so he's probably my favorite player now um 
But yeah, yeah, that, that was that was super random. Well, last one for me. Speaking of Sahith, I'm I'm glad you brought him up. Uh, I understand when you guys were teammates in college, you probably played a lot of chess together. Uh, do, do you still play? And just talk about your guys' relationship and and maybe what you've learned from Sahith. Maybe not just as a player, but as a person too. Because yeah, I mean, clearly he's captured the hearts of everyone. You know, golf fans around the world in these two years that he's been on the PGA Tour. Right. Yeah. And that, that's honestly the, the least surprising thing to me, just because I, I I know him as well as I do. And he's just obviously a phenomenal player, but remarkably even a better person. Um, and yeah, yeah, I spent I spent a lot of, of just quality time with him in my first couple of years because um, he he was rehabilitating his wrist when uh, when I was a freshman. And so a lot of the times when, when the team was traveling, it was just him and me staying behind. And so we, we spent a, a ton of time together. Um, just doing various things and um yeah yeah so we we became super close friends played a lot of chess we pl- play a little less com less frequently now um just he, he obviously it's obviously a little bit busier than i am um but yeah yeah it, it's I, I feel like i've learned a ton from him um i'd say primarily just he's he's kind of set a blueprint for for what it looks like to be an impactful player on and off the course and to uh just yeah develop through college and and obviously transition into, into professional awareness as effectively as he has. And so it's, it, it's, it's really special to see that he's done that so successfully, but it's also encouraging, I guess, um, just to knowing that it's feasible and that it, it can be done. And, and he just kind of paved the path for, for doing that. Well, Derek, we appreciate you joining us bright and early on a Friday morning. Uh, congratulations once again, my friend. Uh, all the best to you and the team uh, in this postseason run. and look forward to seeing you guys at Greyhawk next month. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys. Really appreciate having me on. Derek Kitchener breaking through individual champion at Pasta Tiempo, Pepperdine winning as a team. And we showed it a lot in the broadcast, Brentley, that the last three team champions, Stanford, Pepperdine and Texas of the Western Intercollegiate went on to win the national championship a month later. Could Pepperdine make it four in a row? I think it's possible. I, I think we always talk Bandy, North Carolina, but they're that next tier of four, six, maybe eight teams that at least right now we think have a chance. So um, intriguing to see them play. So by the way, the 22 under second round, as good as I've seen in person, maybe ever. Now, granted, Pasta Tiempo was playing a little easier, but it's still yeah. 22 under. 22 12, under around that 12, place. I don't tw- yeah, 12 better than BYU, and those were the only two teams that shot even par or under par that day. Hawaii had the third best score. So, um, and I think Derek hit on a key point for me, the cohesiveness, the dynamic, the personalities fit. Um, you and I talked to these coaches. The numbers are great, but when they actually get along, got each other's backs, whether it's the men, the women, I will always lean to maybe a team that doesn't have quite the talent of someone else, but a team that maybe is divided, that half the team is here, half the team's there, and it doesn't work uh, off the course. So great to have Derek on. Um, Other quick things that I took away, Oregon's a really scrappy team, and Owen Averett is on his way to a second or maybe first team All-America season. Had a chance to win for the third time this year. He's really good. And I don't think 
nationally he gets maybe the attention uh, of some of the others. But he did nothing wrong coming down the stretch. And, oh, by the way, he was the only guy on day two to go bogey-free. He shoots 66. Well, Burko, he's he's 42nd right now in golf stat. He's he's going to need to improve the ranking a little bit to get into that first team range. But yeah, he I, feels I, like he feels like a second teamer. Yeah, he's. I mean, that's. I, I think that would be un, unbelievable for him, especially when you consider that he didn't even start his career at Oregon. He was at Long Beach State. Uh, I, I think by his own admission, he wasn't good enough as a high school player. I mean, we heard Derek talking about how when he first talked to Pepperdine, like he needed to improve before they would have actually offer him for Owen Averett that was just you know after his freshman year of of college so now that he's finally in Eugene I I think he's really taken off and and I I mentioned this on the on the pregame one of the pregame shows earlier this week and the fact that that team in Oregon has really taken on the identity of their head coach Casey Martin just from a kind of a gritty under the radar kind of chip on the shoulder like People are counting me out, but I'm going to prove you wrong. So I'm very impressed by them, very impressed by Cal, kind of what Walter Chun has done with that team, who many probably consider them a year away because they are bringing in the top-ranked recruiting class. But he actually talked to them on Sunday night before the tournament, and it was after a coach – You know, he had heard it from a bunch of people, but it was after a coach said, man, you guys are going to be really good next year. And he took it as a compliment, but – at the same time, it didn't really sit right just in terms of he wanted to tell it to his team. He wanted to try to motivate them and say, hey, like, don't worry about next year. Like, you know, I'm I'm worried about you guys. Like, we're not looking ahead. We're going to focus on now. Why not go out and have a good year or a good end of the season this year? And then we'll take on next year when Eric Lee and those guys get in. So those are a couple things from those teams. But real quick, too, Perko, to touch on Pepperdine. I don't know if you saw, but did you see the, I think it was FanDuel had NCAA championship odds and Pepperdine was, had the 14th best odds at 40 to one. Uh, I did peruse some of the numbers, uh, was looking for potential value. I honestly didn't get that far down. I got enamored at Illinois at 15 or 18 to one, um, Florida at 16 to one. So, no, but four, yeah. 40 to one, for 40, 41, like that's, that's, that's disrespectful. I, I, I think because, I mean, this is a team now, I think they're up to sixth or seventh now in golf stat based on how they played at the, at Paso Tiempo. And um, I, I mean, to answer your question from a little earlier, like, can they go, can they be the fourth straight Western intercollegiate champion? Absolutely. And I think that's a crazy stat too, because, you know, great event, but it's not like the field is, top to bottom flush with top 25 teams so like the sample size is small and then you know obviously there's only there can only be one one winner so the fact that we've been able to do three straight champions now i think it actually speaks to just how great that course is how great that event is um because if you can play well at, on pasta tiempo in um, normally what are tough conditions i know it was a little easier this year if you can do that you, you can play well at greyhawk because i think in a way not not super similar golf courses just just from the eye test but the the way that putting i think separates you especially on those two golf courses um in the the importance on kind of precision off the tee and like those are two things that i think are very alike in those two courses plus they're they're just really hard so um 
I, I think Pepperdine is is, is going to really feel good about this, and I, I I wouldn't count them out at all because they are showing that they're they're you know deep team, and especially with uh, Roberto Nieves going out and shooting sixty three a day after shooting seventy seven. If your five guy can do that, we've seen it before. Like guys at the end of the lineup get hot, and then all of a sudden you have a national championship in your trophy case. Sam Choi, the X Factor, said it on the broadcast. If he can play like he did this week, be that solid three. You know, we always get caught up in depth. It's nice. You got to win three points when yeah. you get the match play. Sam plays like that, uh, and Hitchner and Mao continue to do their thing. I, I think they're solidly in that second tier, if you will, behind the big two. Um, there are some teams, though, right now, in trouble, might not even get a regional selection. Uh, sort of give me a, uh, an idea of, of what you're looking at, maybe two, three, four teams that uh, have work to do, and a lot of it for some of them. Yeah, so with the 500 rule, there were probably a lot more teams in danger a couple weeks ago, but somehow, you know, it, it always seems to work out at the end, right? And uh, you know, they've they've had they've played well. You have a team like Arkansas that has gone from way below to now they're six wins up going into SECs, which that's a deep conference. So Arkansas is still not still not out of the woods yet. Wake Forest is is three down. So going into ACC championship, so they'll have their work cut out. But I think they'll be okay. Um, Notre Dame is squarely right at even, and then USC is probably the most notable team that I think uh, it. <sighs> could be it, it could be the the end of the season if they don't win a pac-12 championship because i'm actually looking at the number right now they are nine, yeah the math doesn't work really right? nine below and so they they would essentially yeah. have to finish when you 12 teams though they they would have to finish top they'd two. have to win no they, yeah. they'd have to win because two if you you'd be 10 second, and one well you'd be 10 and one if you finished oh even okay that's right, right. Yeah, so they have to finish second yeah, which based on how they've played all year, um, I, I would say that's fairly improbable. But I mean, programs live after not making it a year because of the 500 rule. I mean, look at what Alabama's done this year after not making it a season ago. So they'll be all right. They're, they're just going to have to, again, like I said, they're going to have to look in the mirror and, and ask themselves, you know, what what were the issues and how can I get better? And you know, they, they have some talent, so and, and they're bringing in um, a decent recruiting class as well. So they'll be fine. It, it just, you know, some sometimes these things happen and you just don't have a good year. Something that did happen at Augusta National, Sam Bennett, the Texas A&M senior. Uh, what a magical run, you know, eight under halfway through. And you start thinking, could he? Maybe. Yeah, we know Sam really well. I mean, he wasn't bashful in saying I'm here to win a golf tournament. but to finish tied for 16, um, a tip of the cap, you know, for, forget the fact he was low am, you know, even halfway through that third round, he was right there. Um, and to, to play with John Rahm and Brooks Kepka, uh, I'm always curious. Obviously, he didn't play in the Aggie Invitational. There was no chance that was ever going to happen, uh, in my opinion. Um does this take him to a whole nother level? We will have to wait and see. Does this uh, sort of springboard him to a great uh, postseason run? But just 
take it as it is. Masters, heck of a show uh, by Sam. Yeah, I, I I almost wonder if he maybe felt a little disrespected with all the Gordon Sargent talk early week when you have Sargent playing with Rory and you got a big feature on PGATour.com that goes out about you. And um, Grant and Sam Bennett had a nice feature go out about him too, written by our Ryan Lander. But everyone was talking about Gordon Sargent. You know, would they have to Sargent-proof Augusta? Like, he's not going to hit anything more than an eight iron into any hole. Like, oh, like all of these things. And I think Sam Bennett kind of, because the the Masters is normally like the USAM champ at the Masters. They're kind of like the, the big deal. Like they're the biggest story every single year. And to be honest, Sam didn't really get that. Like he didn't get a pre-tournament press conference. Like he, he didn't get all the headlines going in, but by Thursday afternoon or Friday afternoon, like he was, I mean, he had earned it. Like he kind of showed in, and that's kind of the player he's always been because I think he has felt slighted in the past, whether it be award watch lists or award voting or just people talking about favorites. I mean, he mentioned that before the USAM uh, when I don't know if he was actually talking about me, but he did use my name. But I think he was a little mistaken because I only had three players that I talked about on on air and he wasn't one of them, but it's not like I was going through favorites and he probably would have been fourth or fifth in that anyways. But anyways, he uses these things as motivation to bring out his best golf. And um, I mean, that, that performance, I, I didn't think he was going to win because you never think that an amateur is going to win a major championship, especially the masters in their first trip to Augusta national, but just the way he was able to kind of carry himself playing. I, I watched the, the, the end of that third round Sunday morning uh, alongside John Rahm and Brooks Kepka, And he really looked comfortable. And those are players that he believes that he can play alongside for the next couple decades. And um, I, I think this was a big week for him and that it, it might've boosted his Hogan award stock. Like he, he might now be the front runner for the Hogan award. And, you know, he's, I, mean, I think his profile has now, just gotten that much better. And, um, you know, he's, I, I, I have no doubt now he, he's going to be a star at the next level. I think there were some question marks, just how much he really wanted it, um, how comfortable he would be in that environment. But I mean, looking at him playing the masters, I, I, I think he's ready to turn professional. So he's going to enjoy these last month or two in college golf. And I, I, I look for him to have a lot of success. Yeah, going to be fun to watch the continued journey of Sam Bennett. Uh, i got a couple minutes to go. Let's sort of uh, set the table what's on tap. I mean, postseason's here, but still one really good uh, regular season event for the men here uh, starting this weekend. Yeah, Thunderbird Collegian. we got Ludwig Aberg and Texas Tech in, uh, in play, North Carolina. We'll see if they can, again, reassert themselves as the best team in college golf. You know, Oklahoma State's in there, Texas, Arizona State. So these are going to be a lot of teams that that we see probably factor at Greyhawk. Um, you know, granted, this is Papago Golf Course. It's more of a public track kind of, even though it's only 20 minutes away. Uh, very different golf course, at least in my opinion, than Greyhawk, um, especially kind of around the greens and on the greens, but um, kind of similar environment. So we'll, we'll see uh, if, you know, Ludwig can – can get another win, kind of match Gordon Sargent, who just got his third win a few days ago, and uh, as, as as it relates to Player of the Year awards, and what what to see? Because um, I because I, I, I I think momentum's a big thing, right, Burko? Like 
if if you can if you can end the regular season, I mean, we saw Stanford do it a few years ago when they won five straight, including the national championship. If you can add a, a late win in the regular season going into conference, I think that could be, and I I, I think that could be a, a a big deal. Yeah, for some teams they need it. For others, it's just another step uh, in the progression to try to win it all. Uh, real quickly, we want to preview some men's conference championships as we did with the women. Um, let's just start with the SEC's top of mind. A lot of good teams. I think it's simple. Vandy continues to roll, in my opinion. Yeah, they're clearly the favorites. I think Auburn um, probably would have had a case before that they just had an injury. Uh, Evan Vogt tore his ACL, so he's out for the year. Actually played 54 holes on the injury uh, oh, just a couple of days ago. But I saw uh, that video you posted. It was God bless him. <laughs> I mean, it, it, against you know all all advice, he he wanted to you know, and, and this is before he actually knew exactly what the injury was, but you know, played through the pain because he wants to be part of that team. He wants to be part of this this team for the postseason run. So I I think Auburn, who enjoyed some time at number one earlier this season, I I just don't know if they have have the horses to compete with Vanderbilt. The only other team I think that has a shot. I mean, obviously with Sam Bennett playing well, but I I think Florida. I think you I think your Florida Gators, Burko, um give Vanderbilt a uh, run for their money and uh, you know one of the best top threes in golf. And so I think those are the two teams that we'll probably have our eye on. ACC, who's jumping out to you? I, coming into the year, <laughs> I, I, re I, I really liked Georgia Tech just from the experience. Um, and, and this is aside from, from North Carolina just being loaded, but something just tells me like, you know, they're they're going to be at CCNC up in Pinehurst. Like it'll not really home home turf, but kind of home turf for North Carolina. I, I just don't be surprised if Georgia Tech, led by Christo Lamprecht, a um, lot of lot of experienced players, just don't 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 be surprised if they get into that final match and get things done. Plus, as we've noted, North Carolina. They've had some struggles in match play in big events the last couple of seasons. So um, I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but I, I think uh, Andrew DiBattetto's squad would probably admit that they need to get better in this format if they want to win not only an ACC title, but an NCAA title. Yeah, it'll be uh, tough to take down the Tar Heels on paper. But obviously, it's not taken care of on paper. So, uh, but certainly the favorite heading to that Big 12. Um, God, I think it could go a lot of different directions and feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I, I, I think I don't know, Burko. Do you think it's Is Texas it? Tech's year finally? I mean, they they haven't won a Big Twelve title, and gosh, I don't know. I mean, at least not since two thousand fourteen, as I've had the the recent list of champions right here in front of me, but. Um, something just tells me that it's Texas Tech's time to finally be, you know, the, the bell of the Big 12 ball, if you will. Yeah, I, I mean, they have the highest ranking, probably a better resume. We know what Oklahoma has seemingly figured out in postseason runs in recent years. Texas, it's there. Is it going to happen this week? I don't know. Um, those are great courses, though. Prairie Dunes. I mean, the last time we were there a couple years ago, it was an exciting finish with a wasn't it double like bogey three teams by Pearson. Wasn't it yeah, like it was, three teams tied coming down the, the 18th? Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas. Pierce Acuti made a late double. I think Bo Jin almost lost a ball. 
Um, I think Oklahoma ended up winning. Uh, actually, no, I think it was Oklahoma State. Yeah, yeah, 2021 Oklahoma State. Um, so, I mean, great golf course. Um, usually leads to to great golf and great golf tournaments. Pac-12, Arizona State, the best team. Uh, but it's at Stanford, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. You got to like the Cardinal uh, as a potential spoiler. Um, I mean, those are the two that jump off to me. Oregon, again, intrigues me. Played well at Pasta Tiempo, had one, two of three going into it. You know, I feel like those three teams, uh, I was somewhat disappointed how Arizona played uh, at Pasta Tiempo. Those were one of those squads that I thought was building momentum. Uh, But as we go through all this, it seems like there's a clear favorite in each conference. And then there's one or two that could upset, um, you know, that top dog coming down the stretch. Yeah, this, Stanford playing at home is clearly a advantage for them. But I, I will say, I, I think Arizona State has surprised me all year, just in terms of what they lost from a year ago to what Matt Thurman and, and that squad have been able to keep doing this season. I mean, they've been, you know, one of the best five teams in the country all year. Uh, their their freshmen have really started to play well. Uh, Michael Miasset and Luke Potter, uh, Riggs Johnson has has had a much better year. So yeah, Stanford's at home, but I something tells me that Arizona State's going to have a lot to say about these these big tournaments, you know, coming up the next month and a half or so with conference regionals and, and NCAA championship. So um, I, I think Arizona State clips Stanford here and and they make a run uh, in their last NCAAs at Greyhawk. But again, a lot, a lot can happen. They can go and lay two eggs and maybe I won't be as high on them, but um, for, for some reason, I, I, I like this team maybe more than, you know, the stats or you know, kind of the, the paper would suggest going back to that. And then the big 10 Illinois, would they shoot 68 <laughs> under at Missouri's event? Um, yeah. It's, a, it's like death, death taxes, Illinois one in the, the big yeah. 10. Um, it's in Jersey. Uh, I think it's Galloway National. Uh, obviously, a big fan and supporter of Rutgers and the Scarlet Knights and the job Rob Shooty's done. Um, I think from a 500 standpoint, Rutgers needs to finish second, maybe third to to do it. And heck, they shot 25 under at Missouri's event. That's a school record in relation to par. And, and as I was telling the crew before we went on the air, I said, boy, Missouri played great at home. They shot 40 under par, and they lost by 28. I, I've been leaning there, and I'm still sticking with Vandy in North Carolina. Illinois very might well win this national championship. They're that good. Oh. Um, yeah. And I'm not locking that in. I'm not going to waver. I, I think we both said Vandy, North Carolina, back and forth. Yeah, that's this, your that's your trendy pick. That's your kind of yeah. You know, I picked uh, Vanderbilt, but and I'm sticking with him. But you know, if I if I had to start a new bet, you know, this I'd go is, with Illinois as a trendy. Yeah, pick. this is not, and they've had some really good teams, and I'm not there yet. This might end up being his very best. Oh wow! I, I mean, maybe when you when you start. I mean, what Jackson Buchanan shoots a million under. We know about Adrian Dumont de Chazar. Tommy Cool was indifferent. Like you start going down, maybe there's not like a star star, but you start looking at these four or five and you're like, 
Yeah. This might be as good as any team he's ever had. And he's had some really good ones. Yeah, d- d- definitely chemistry-wise, I-, I think, too, that they just all- always seem to, you know, kind of pick each other up, you know, when one guy plays bad, another guy doesn't. But I, I don't know, th- those those teams with Nick Hardy and Dylan Meyer as your four and five were, were, were pretty good, too. But Agreed. Again, I, 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 I think you could you could argue that some of those years, Illinois, if it was stroke play, NCAAs, like they would have two or three national titles because they were that much better than all of those other teams for some of those years, particularly, you know, 2016 comes to mind, but match play just kind of bit them in the uh, rear. But uh, I, I, I like Illinois a lot. I, you know, I don't think anyone touches them in the big, big 10, although I think Maxwell Moldovan from Ohio state may be a, um, maybe not a a favorite, but definitely a front runner for the individual title. So, so that's kind of more the unknown than the team championship. I think that's uh, I think we could say uh, safely that Illinois is going to win that one. Yeah, I feel good about that. Also feel good about wrapping this one up. Always good to reconvene. (laughs) It's been a hectic few weeks. We appreciate everyone, as always, for taking some time to catch up with us on College Golf Talk. For Brentley, I'm Berko. We'll do it again next week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.